0: Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Dr. Mark White, and today I'll be discussing arthrogenic inhibition. What is arthrogenic inhibition? It's a joint-centric problem that interferes with normal physiological and movement-related activity of the joint. Usually, this is due to pathology within or around the joint, such as damage to the chondral surface and associated swelling. It is believed that the presence of swelling is a main driver of the decreased motor function in the musculature surrounding the joint. This is most well described and has been tested directly for the effect of knee swelling on quadriceps activity. It has also been studied in the hip where swelling in the joints of patients with hip pathology was compared to non-swollen hips in a healthy control population. Swelling with pathology was associated with decreased activation of gluteal muscles. Because of this link between swelling in the joint and diminished muscle activation around the joint, this is sometimes referred to as arthrogenic neuromuscular inhibition. This phenomenon is generalized to other joints. Once joint swelling reduces, motor function generally returns, or at least its ability to return, is enabled. And while it is not possible to detect small volumetric changes within the joint, which may be contributory to the inhibition, and in the knee, for example, it only takes one to two cc's of extra fluid to begin shutting things down, we can err on the side of caution and prescribe activities that will help ensure we are more likely to move in the right direction with recovery when orthogenic inhibition is suspected. So, what do we do with this information? Well, we do all those things that are associated with swelling reduction. First, what we don't do is electrical stimulation to a muscle that is hypoactive because of this process. Why not? Because the driver of the inhibition is still there. The swelling. That has to go. Our takeaway today is how we accomplish this. Number one, rest. Judiciously, avoid all those things that overload the joint and cause it to swell. This may include use of assistive devices and or bracing. Second, elevation. This involves a type of rest. We support the injured joint in a position elevated above the level of the heart. Let gravity help drain the fluid. It's conceptually easy if it's a foot or ankle or even a knee. Just lie down and elevate the limb higher than the heart. If it's a hip, then we have to have the patient lie on their back with their head of the bed lower than the hips, and that's not always possible for some people. So, an alternate here is we can have the patient lie on their side with the injured hip up. Third, intermittent motion of the joint. This may be passive or active. This helps push fluid around the joint, and it may be undergoing the fluid, that is, may be undergoing the gel phenomenon, which is a process by which the fluid becomes thicker with greater viscosity and is not reabsorbed as easily. Motion helps break this up and aids recovery of the joint surface. And number four, intermittent contractions of musculature around the joint, at least the ones that are still firing. This can be done isometrically if the joint is too sore to tolerate motion. In this case, the activity aids proprioception that is useful in helping re-establish motor control of the joint stabilizers, which can help attenuate loads acting across the joint during movement-related and or load-bearing activities. And that then constitutes a type of protective contraction, is the ability to fire when necessary. It can also help approximate the joint, and the benefit of that is more mechanical action to push fluid around the joint. If movement is possible, then the working muscles help produce mechanical stimulation of fluid in the joint that aids resorption, especially if the fluid is gelled or is beginning to gel. That concludes our talk for now. Thanks for listening, and as always, may you and your patients be well. That's all for today.